Hi, this is Maureen Milliken. And this is Rebecca Milliken, and this is Crime and Stuff. The podcast. You would do if you had nothing better to do. And this is actually a mini bonus episode. Oh. I don't I don't want to call it a main mini because it takes place in New Hampshire. There's a very s- small, tiny main angle. It was going to be part of our episode 122, but we figured that episode was going to be a little long and that we'd put this out a week later just to give people a little gift since episode 122 was a little late. Right? Yes. Yeah. Yep. And hopefully facts of this story haven't changed too much by the time it gets out. As I said, this isn't a Maine mini, but a New Hampshire mini. But since Maine and New Hampshire are right next to each other and everyone knows everyone else, we're going to go along with it. Okay. okay. I got my information for this from the Concord Monitor and the Boston Globe, mostly. I'll say if I'm using some other source, okay? Okay. On April 18th, Dejuani and Stephen Reed left their apartment in a Concord, New Hampshire apartment complex at about 2.30 in the afternoon to go for a walk on the nearby broken ground trail system. They headed northeast on a walking path that led them under Interstate 393 to the trail system, a complex of easy trails that are through the woods on city-owned land, more walks than actual hikes. It was a sunny, cool day, a nice day for April in northern New England. Neighboring states, Massachusetts and Maine, were celebrating the holiday unique to those two states, Patriots Day, yes, which commemorates the Battle of Lexington and Concord in 1775, which was the first battle of the Revolutionary War. Nowadays, it's notable as the day the Boston Marathon is run and also the first day of April school vacation in Massachusetts and Maine. But in New Hampshire, it's just another April Monday, albeit a sunny and dry one, which is unusual for what's known around here as mud season. When the couple wasn't heard from for a couple days, their family reported them missing. The day after they reported them missing, on Thursday, April 21st, at about 5.30 p.m., their bodies were found by searchers from the New Hampshire Fish and Game Department in the woods near the Marsh Loop Trail. Both have been shot multiple times. A little over a week after the reeds were killed, Holly Banks, 28, and Keith LaBelle, 42, described as an acquaintance or friend of hers, were found shot to death in Banks' home in Gorham, New Hampshire, about 100 miles north. While there hasn't been much information about either case, law enforcement officials say they are not related. I I know they don't tell us everything they know, and I don't think they're related either, but I still always wonder how they can be so certain they're not related when they don't seem to know anything. So. I know. Or like when they say, oh, we don't think there's any danger to the public when they don't know who did something. Right. That's coming up too. Oh, okay. Shortly after the Reed's bodies were found, Senior Assistant Attorney General Jeffrey Ward said that while area residents should be vigilant, investigators didn't have any reason to suspect that the public was in danger, hmm. which I would disagree with. Yeah. Again, how can they know that when apparently two people who did not live high-risk lives were gunned down in broad daylight while out for a walk? Uh-huh. And that was the Reed shootings. They said very little about the Gorham ones, but apparently they don't think people in Gorham are in danger either. In any case, the four homicides appear to be the first homicides of 2022 for New Hampshire, though the New Hampshire Department of Justice also had news releases about three separate suspicious deaths on its website in February, March, and April, and then no other information. I assume if those ended up being homicides, they would have said. And a pickup truck driver was also charged in January with negligent homicide after he hit and killed a bicyclist, but that doesn't count for these purposes. 
Like its fellow northern New England states, Vermont to the west and Maine to the east, New Hampshire overall has a very low homicide rate. There were only 14 in New Hampshire in 2020, giving it the lowest rate in the country. I couldn't find the 2021 figures. So on the other hand, there were 32 in 2019, a huge spike over previous years. Wow. Like Vermont and Maine, about half of the homicides in New Hampshire tend to be domestic violence, and almost all are by people who know each other, either as acquaintances, relatives, or friend frenemies, I guess they'd be. Yeah. The, the Reed's deaths were the ninth and 10th homicides in Concord, New Hampshire's capital, in the past six years. There were three last year, including a shooting in the Alton Woods apartment complex where the Reed's lived. And while Cody Tool's shooting homicide is technically unsolved, reports last fall were that his wife shot him because he was strangling her. There's been little information since. There's no information available on where Banks and LaBelle's homicides rank in Gorham, New Hampshire, but I have to believe that there haven't been many Gorham homicides. It's a town of 2,700 people in the White Mountains. And by the way, you'll notice I use the word homicide most of the time rather than murder, unlike many of our 2022 journalism colleagues who have written about these deaths. That's because, as you know, if you listen closely to this podcast, homicide means someone was killed at the hands of another person. Murder describes a specific type of homicide as determined by the legal system. It's all spelled out in the Associated Press style book that apparently no one in journalism matters (laughs) to look at anymore, except for me. But the style book says murder should not be used in a news story unless someone has been convicted. Of exactly. The We're not journalists on this podcast, so we can use it. But it annoyed me. I try not to, though. Yeah. That said, the Reed's deaths in Concord were certainly murder by someone. The double shooting is being investigated by Concord Police Department with an assist from the New Hampshire Attorney General's Office. Also helping out our New Hampshire State Police, the New Hampshire Fish and Game Department, and the FBI. Hmm. In the more than two weeks since it happened, or three weeks by the time this comes out, little has been said publicly about the investigation, aside from pleas by law enforcement for any information from the public. In the days after the bodies were found, New Hampshire Associate Attorney General Jeff Strelzen no stranger to this podcast, Mm. said, as reported in the Concord Monitor, that in criminal investigations, authorities are circumspect in the details because we Mm. are limited by rules of professional conduct and the requirements to protect the integrity of the investigation, unquote. In other words, we don't want to screw things up by telling you every little thing we're doing. But here's what we do know. The Reeds, both in their 60s, have been married for decades. Bonding over their love of fitness and adventure, according mm, to just family. like me. I was going to say that that's a phrase that will never be associated with, <laughs> with me or any of my relationships, although I do like to hike. Steve Reed, 67 at the time of his death, was a native of Concord. After he graduated from Concord High in 1973, he went on to the University of Notre Dame in South Bend, Indiana. Then he joined the Peace Corps, serving in West Africa for four years. Though Deswende, known to everyone as Wendy, who was 66, originally is from the West Africa country of Burkina Faso, the two met in Washington, D.C., where she was attending college on an athletic scholarship, Hmm. and he was working, and this would have been in the late 70s or early 80s. The two lived for many years in Africa, where Steve worked for USAID, a federal agency that administers foreign aid and development assistance in developing nations. They lived in Vermont as well before moving to Concord three years ago. Wendy worked for a nonprofit helping immigrants who were new to the area acclimate. 
The couple had two children, Lindsay and Brian, and they were well-liked in their Concord neighborhood by all accounts. Concord is a city of 44,215 people. While that may seem small to a lot of people, in New England, it's a fairly good-sized city. For instance, it's larger than all the main cities except for Portland. The Alton Woods apartment complex where they lived is in the Heights section of Concord, an area across the Merrimack River from downtown that stretches along Route 9, which is a mishmash of fast food restaurants, state offices, hotels, self-storage units, etc. The kind of strip you see in a lot of New England small cities. Fun fact, years ago, when I was a reporter for the Union Leader newspaper, Manchester, New Hampshire, and this would have been in the late 80s sometime, I covered a homicide along that strip very close to the Alton Woods apartment complex. I can't remember much, except it was a guy in a pickup truck and his body was partially falling out of the truck Ah. where it was for hours. And the legendary photographer, Bob LaPree, got a good photo. (laughs) We hung around for hours, it seemed, in the cold, waiting for news. And I ended up going across the street to what I believe at the time was the Red Blazer restaurant, which has moved a few blocks away, with the reporter from the Concord Monitor for a couple drinks. Mm. That was my big memory of the night. (laughs) Bob later got some shit from a reader who wrote a letter to the editor complaining about the photo saying Bob had obviously never had a murdered person in his family or he wouldn't have taken that photo. Bob, a professional to the nth degree, was able to answer that actually his sister was murdered sometime in the 1970s, a still unsolved case in which her body was left by the road like a bag of garbage. His words, his words, not mine. Anyway, I digress. Alton Woods is one of those apartment complexes you see everywhere. A dozen or so, three and four story buildings with a community center, a pool. It was spread over 40 acres in between Route 9 and Interstate 393, which is a short east-west spur that gets travelers on Interstate 93 around the city and headed east without having to drive through Concord. The Boston Globe, which unlike a lot of local reporters, talked to people in the complex, talked to one guy who lived there who lived in the same building as the Reeds, but didn't know them, who was a Maine native and a Navy veteran. He said he moved to New Hampshire from Indiana for a quieter life. He wouldn't give the reporter his name, but he gave them this gem, quote, I used to give Indiana flack because all the serial killers would drive through there from the South, from the Midwest. And for a rural state, there was a lot of killing. Now we have this sort of thing happening here to what seemed like perfectly nice people. I mean, who knows anymore? (laughs) <laughs> unquote the globe, maybe he's the killer yeah oh no i shouldn't shit. say that you can not, you can cut that out i don't want to get sued well he he wouldn't even give his name to the paper oh, so okay it's like Good. if he sues he's going to reveal his name <laughs> the globe helpfully points out that indiana has the 13th highest murder rate well new hampshire has the lowest which isn't technically correct new hampshire had the lowest rate in 2020, the last year for which Centers for Disease Control Statistics are available. That's when it had 14, tied with Vermont. Maine was third with 21, which was 1.6 per 100,000 people. The thing lists New Hampshire and Vermont is having zero per 100,000 people, so it's like less than one. Indiana, indeed, was 13th with 620, or 9.6 murders per 100,000 people. But, you know, for New Hampshire to be ranked lowest is not an accurate statement. I don't know why I'm getting so (laughs) quibbly about that. And by the way, for all the people who think crime is out of hand, 
Homicide in the U.S. has plummeted steadily since the 1960s. In 1991, there were 9.76 homicides per 100,000 people in the U.S. In 2020, there were 4.76. So um, we live in a much safer country than we used to. But then again... You know, it's funny because the population's grown so much. Well, that's per capita. Yeah, but still. You're right. There are more people to kill other people. Well, there's a lot of factors that maybe we can, you know, do an episode on sometime. Yeah, maybe. The Reeds had no known history of domestic violence, no medical issues that anyone knew of, and neither owned a gun. The police have not indicated at all that there it was a possible murder-suicide, which I believe they would have if they thought it was there, you know, there was no gun found at the scene apparently. Yeah. They'd been together for around 40 years and by all accounts were a loving couple. They attended a family gathering on Easter the day before they were killed, and both of them talked to various family members and friends on the phone during the day on April 18th before they went out for their walk. Everything seemed to be fine and normal, family said. They frequently walked along the trails of broken ground, according to their family and friends. April 18th was no different from any other day. The two left their cell phones and Steve left his wallet at home as they headed out that afternoon. They liked the 1.5-mile Marsh Loop Trail, which has five points of access. The closest one to their apartment was a little over a mile away along a path that goes under the highway and through a field and comes out on Portsmouth Road, a residential road on that side of the highway. And the trailhead they used was just walk down that road. Steve had a standing tennis date on Wednesday. And when he didn't show up, family members couldn't reach him. They went to the apartment where everything was neat and in order, nothing amiss. Then they reported the couple missing to the police. Hmm. The search for the Reeds circled out from the apartment complex and the surrounding area, and they were found early evening on mm-hmm. Thursday. There are still more questions and answers. Law enforcement hasn't said who found the bodies, though some reports say it was New Hampshire Fish and Game Department. They haven't said why they were looking in that area, but my guess is people knew they liked to walk there. I don't think it's that mysterious oh, how yeah. they looked. Well, they were found in the woods close to the trail. It's not clear exactly where or if police believe they were killed there or killed somewhere else and moved into the woods. Right after the bodies were found, law enforcement asked that anyone who may have come across the couple that day to let them know, as well as anyone who saw anything in the area that might have been a little weird or off. And those are my words. Not Mm -hmm. police were more jargony about it. Concord Police Chief Bradley Osgood, during a press conference that Friday after the reeds were found, said... It's something that came out of nowhere, and we're doing our due Mm. diligence, investing all of our resources, working with our state and local partners to bring this case to a successful resolution. Those resources included calling in the FBI, which isn't abnormal in difficult cases in New Hampshire, since the Bureau has resources to help that the state doesn't, including a much more sophisticated crime lab and investigative techniques. There was one story in the Boston Globe that talked to like the former boston police commissioner about why he thought they would have called in the fbi and i'm like these these guys haven't been paying much attention to how new hampshire investigates when you only have a couple dozen or less murders a year you know know. you just don't have you don't (laughs) right the concord monitor talked to laura dykstra an associate professor of criminology and criminal justice at new hampshire's plymouth state university who said the circumstances of the reeds homicide are particularly unusual a double homicide of two low-risk victims with no apparent motive or personal connection. Dykstra told the monitor, typically when you're investigating homicides, you look first at people who are known to the victims. It's relatively rare to have stranger homicides occur in New Hampshire, Uh unquote. 
She also pointed out that those types of homicides are less likely to be solved. More on that in a few minutes. Theories that have floated around reported by the press include maybe there was a connection to Steve's work for USAID, though as a humanitarian rather than a military or some other type of organization, you wonder how likely that would be. You know, it's not like it's a spy organization or some quasi-military thing or anything. And particularly, you wonder how that connection would play out with them getting killed and conquered. There could have been a racial motive. Wendy was black and Steve was white, which could have spurred someone's anger or hostility. New Hampshire is a largely white state, and though it's not as volatile as some states race-wise, it's one of eight Republican-led states to recently pass bizarre laws that limit teaching about racism and stuff like that in school, which has inflamed passions both of people who don't want their state to be racist and people who do want their state to be (laughs) racist and are all getting their backs up because people are trying to end racism. And of course, the internet world is focused on its favorite topic, a serial killer. Mm. Glow points out a widely shared Facebook post that lists dozens of bodies found in the Merrimack Valley and surrounding region in recent years, though the Globe looked into it and found that most of them had been attributed to suicide, overdose, or drowning. And yes, we did a New Hampshire serial killer episode way, way back, but that was in the western half of the state along the Connecticut River. And I believe that may have been episode eight. I didn't look it up, but it was. I think it is, but I'm, yeah, Yeah. it's one of our first ones. Yeah. Yeah. And as always, I want to point out that a random killing by a crazy person doesn't necessarily mean it's a serial killer, because this could also be just some jackass with a gun, and there are a lot of them in New Hampshire. It's a big gun ownership state. Could have been some jackass who's out looking for something to shoot and saw Wendy and Steve. I'm not trying to be glib about it. I just think that's as likely as any other theory. Jeff Zarnick, an associate dean of criminal justice and social sciences at Southern New Hampshire University in Hooksett, New Hampshire, told WMUR-TV Channel 9 that the homicide raises a lot of eyebrows. Quote, there's a lot of malice. There's just a level of intent and evil there, unquote. Uh. Yeah, he's a former cop who was with the Manchester Police Department for 23 years, and he said investigators are likely trying to explore all angles in the case. Quote, I hope so. Yeah, I would think. Quote, <laughs> the investigators that are working on this, they're looking at the who, what, where, how, when, and why. But it's the why factor, he said. What would motivate somebody to not just kill them, but kill them in such a malicious manner? Now, this is Maureen again. Uh, he, either he knows something that we don't know, or I'm wondering how shooting them, granted they were shot multiple times, is any more malicious than any of the other homicides. Mm. I mean, it is a horrific homicide. Yeah. They were shot multiple times and killed and left out in the woods. And it's bad, but you it's know, not I, torturing I, someone to death right, or anything like that. And, and I yeah. hate the word evil anyway, because know, it it's... totally obviates any it's real reasons. Right, exactly. Associate AG Jess Strelson told Channel 9 that while the case is troubling, it's also unusual for New Hampshire, which, as we already discussed, has one of the lowest crime and homicide rates in the country. Quote, our 30 plus year average for homicides is around 19 a year. If you check with the medical examiner's office, you'll learn that 8,000 to 10,000 people die a year in New Hampshire. So I guess what he's saying is the amount of people who die in the state by homicide is very small. The biggest killer in New Hampshire, by the way, is cancer. So I thought it was going to be oldness. Well, that's Maine. Strelson also told other news outlets that it may take a while to solve. 
He also told people to come forward, quote, just don't assume the police already know what you know. Well, there's been a ton of publicity about the Reed shooting, including extensive coverage in the Boston Globe and all over the crazy World Wide Web. The Banks and LaBelle shooting up in Gorham has been pretty much ignored by the media, except for brief articles when it happened. And then the next day on April 28th, when it was ruled a double homicide, it's possible that people assume or police have given the impression it's a murder-suicide, but I don't think so. And I'll get into that shortly. And usually they say right away if they it's would a say, yeah. But it's a little odd no one is paying attention, or maybe not odd, given the limits in both resources and imagination of the local news media these days. Anyway, Barbara Tetro, a longtime correspondent at the Union Leader in Manchester when I worked there, and now the editor of the Conway and Berlin Sun newspapers mm. in northern New Hampshire, did have an article where she gleaned some information, and I also found her obits. So Holly Banks was born in Putnam, Connecticut, and raised in Massachusetts, although she lived in a military family, moved around a lot. She was 27 at the time she was killed. She joined the army where she met Alexander Banks. They married and had two kids. After they left the army, they lived in Wyoming for a few years. They got divorced, but Banks told Tetro, and again, that's the only newspaper that's tried to do any kind of story aside from the news releases that the attorney general released, the very brief news releases. But Banks told Tetro that even though they were divorced, they decided to both move to the Gorham area so they could continue to co-parent their two kids. Nice. Mm Mm-hmm. They moved to the area last June. He said that because Hallie hiked three or four times a week, she was excited about living in the White Mountains. Uh. Her parents live relatively nearby, at least relatively when compared to Wyoming, where they had lived before. They live in Livermore Falls, Maine, which is about two hours from Gorham, but about 20 minutes from where I live. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Now you can go visit them. Yeah, maybe I will. Alexander Banks, as well as Holly's obituary, said that Holly was a free spirit who loved being outdoors. Banks said Holly also had plans to go to college to become a nurse. Her shorter term plans included attending a mother-son dance with her son Mm. on April 29th, two days after she was killed. And your birthday. And my birthday. Holly was devoted to their two children and wanted them to enjoy outdoor activities and be active, Banks said. Quote, I wish she could still be around. She was a fantastic mother. That was her passion, taking care of her kids. Mm. He said they usually spoke daily to make sure as parents that they were on the same page. Interestingly, though, he's not listed in her obit. Hmm. Nor is the father of a third child who lives in Cleveland, Ohio. And that's the child. I don't know if the father lives there or not. Keith hmm. LaBelle, the other victim of that shooting, was the father of four children. He was 42 and was born and raised in southern New Hampshire. He lived in Berlin, New Hampshire around the time of his death, which is right down the road from Gorham. His obituary described him as a multilingual world traveler who enjoyed Ooh. experiencing new cultures. He also loved hmm. spending time with his kids camping, hiking, and attending soccer games. He had a degree in finance from New York Institute of Technology and was a project manager at software company Metric Insights. You have to think about who right. would, who would kill both it. of them. I do have a theory, but I'm going to keep that to myself Ooh. for now, and we'll see what happens. We will see. In any case, while murders, and certainly murders of couples, are an anomaly in New Hampshire, they are unheard of. And as Professor Dykstra said earlier, some never do get solved, Mm. including on August 16th, 1974, 
Ellen and Morris Wilkinson, ages 39 and 32, respectively, were shot to death in their home on Old Route 16 in Center Ossipee, New Hampshire. Morris was shot once with a 9mm gun as he sat in a chair in the living room. Ellen was shot multiple times in her bed with Hmm. the same gun. It's never been solved. On October 11th, 1986, which I believe is the day of our brother Jimmy and his wife Linda's wedding... October 11th, 1986. It was. If it was a Saturday, yeah. Yeah, Well, I know it was because the Red Sox were playing the Mets in the, uh, and not the Mets. The Red Sox were in the playoffs. They were playing the Angels in the playoffs anyway. That's a podcast for neither here nor there. Right. Anyway, Terry Giles, a woman, and Joseph Poulin, 24 and 29, who were a couple, died after their apartment house at 314 Islington Street in Portsmouth, New Hampshire, was set on fire. And they were trapped in their apartment. Linda Plummer, 39, a roommate of the two, jumped out of the window, engulfed in flames. She died on March 30th, 1987 at Mass General Hospital. It took fire crews longer than usual to get there because right before that fire, a false alarm from across the city was called in. And they were responding to that when the real fire Uh broke out. It's not clear, and I didn't have time to do a lot of research, whether police think anyone in the apartment building, which had four units, was targeted. While it doesn't quite fit with the others, it's still a triple murder involving a couple, which has never been solved. Hmm. Also in Portsmouth, on February 16, 1991, Stella Bolton and James Moore were stabbed to death in their home at 74 Rock Hill Avenue. The house was then set on fire, and it took police a few days to realize they had been stabbed to death and hadn't died as a result of the fire. They were both Black, and speculation long has been that the crime was racially motivated. In November of last year, the Portsmouth Police Department reopened the case with Detective Rochelle Jones as the lead. Jones was a young teen when the two were killed and lived in their neighborhood. She said Stella Bolton was a motherly woman who looked after the kids in the neighborhood, many of whom were latchkey kids of single parents. James Moore had health problems and would often sit on the porch with his cane as Stella went for daily walks around the neighborhood. Jones, the cop, said there's a voluminous case file and she hopes to make some headway. So maybe a future episode there. The Poulin, Giles, Plummer, Bolton, and more homicides make up five of Portsmouth's seven unsolved homicides going back into the middle of last century. The two others, of course, are young women who were killed. And finally, as far as unsolved couple homicides in New Hampshire, on May 19th, 1993, David and Deborah Carew, 32 and 36 years old, were found shot to death in their home at 51 Warren Avenue in Goffstown, New Hampshire, very close to where I lived at the time. Maybe you're the suspect. And I remember that one well. They both died of multiple gunshot wounds, and that case has never been solved. So, well, the case of Wendy and Stephen Reed is unusual. It's not unprecedented in That's New Hampshire. True. And I didn't have time to look at how many homicides of couples were actually solved, but there are four and one collateral victim that have not been in wow. the past. You know, it is a serial killer. Yeah, of couples. Of couples. Every every 21 or whatever yeah. years he goes out and finds a couple to kill. Oh, from, it is of, always weird though when it's you know something like that where right. I mean like I'm sure in infidelity and stuff, couples get shot if, right. if a, an angry boyfriend if, or, or angry. husband or wife, but that's usually solved. Right. And police haven't talked about if they do have any evidence, if they found anything at the scene. 
you know, they searched the scene extensively. The, I mean, the scene where they were found. And apparently nothing had happened in their apartment. You know, police don't tell people everything yeah. that is yeah. going on. And as we learned, like from the Amy Fitzgerald thing, police may know exactly who did it, but not be saying, I think that may be the case with Holly Banks and Keith LaBelle. And like I said, we'll see on that. So that is a mini bonus episode. Oh, thank you. And, um, and that's a thank you to all of our listeners, especially our Patreon right Remember. who got or. a nice newsletter from us recently with some photos from from our oregon cases that yes, liz posted and I'll, i'm gonna get try to get that newsletter out monthly with photos and other little extras from us and um yes patreon members can get it we'll get it <laughs> we'll have other things like recommendations for podcasts and tv shows yes and, stuff and you know books. We, and books and what we're reading now and stuff like yeah. that but that's our mini and thank ne- you everybody and next week i will be doing an episode yes and hopefully it'll be out on time yeah so thanks thanks for listening thank you everybody <laughs> oh god <laughs> um that's <laughs> But this is poorly written. Blah, 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 blah. Okay. Who I'm wrote that? Who wrote this God. shit? <laughs> <laughs>